0: Wonderful. Let's just pray before we, we start. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And as we just hear it today, help us to, to understand it maybe in a new way. Help us to receive it in the way that you intend us to do. In your name, Amen. Well, good evening. My name's Oli Benyon. I'm the curate here. And if I haven't said hello, um, do come and say hello to me at some point, maybe at the end of the service. Um, I brought with me today uh, a letter, uh, uh, this letter came from my wife, uh, she gave it to me after the third time we started dating, I know this is a bad beginning of our dating relationship, and uh, third and final time actually, and it's in it there are lovely words, there are sweet words, there are gushing words, and I've treasured it ever since. And um, if you read this letter, firstly, I'd probably end up being on the couch, but if you, um, if you read this letter and if I read it to you, uh, you'd get a glimpse into what my wife was thinking and what my wife was wanting to express to me uh, at that point. And if I read you a few lines, let me, I'll just give you a few lines. <laughs> my dearest Ollie, it's Monday evening. You are at the leader's retreat, so I can't speak with you or sleep. I thought I would write instead. Oh, I know. Um, then maybe if I read, you know, maybe the following week, I read you a few, more, yeah, a few more sentences, and then we continued doing this until we got to the end of the letter. Well, firstly, what would happen? You would feel pretty nauseous by the end of it because it does get considerably you know, gushy at points. And, um, but in time, you would most definitely lose the big picture of what is trying to be said here. You know, we need to remember that when we're reading the book of Thessalonians at, this, at the moment, we need to remember this is this is a letter. And though we don't try for very good reasons to, to study the entire letter in one whole go, we do need to be aware that this is not the normal way we read a letter, is it? We don't pick up a letter, read a few sentences, put it down for seven days, and pick it up again and read a few more sentences. We just don't do that. And when we, if we do that, it, it, it's easy to forget The big picture, how it all fits together. Well, Lois and I have also, we've been married for 10 years, and the love letters may be a little less frequent, though we still share our love in other other ways the love of a good box set, for example. Is anyone here who has a particular passion to a good box set? The one that brought us together, I felt, was uh, the relationship between me and my wife and Jack Bauer in 24. Uh, We had a great time watching Jack Bauer. And when you watch shows like that, and you have a continuing storyline for maybe 20, 24 episodes, um, the producers, they don't expect you to remember everything that happens next, the next time you decide to watch it. So what do they do? They give you a helpful little recap right at the beginning. Very useful. Just like this. This, this is, oh, these, these things, oh. If anyone's watched 24, that does something to me. Anyway, so previously in Thessalonians, Paul is writing to a new church, those who recently come to faith in Thessalonica. And uh, at the start of this letter, he's writing to encourage them. And he just he's got so much to be encouraged by. He's had been a report back from Timothy, who's gone to see them and has come back telling them telling Paul really exciting news. And as we see, we'll see in the next couple of weeks, we'll hear some instructions that Paul has also for this church in Thessalonica. But he's encouraged. And over the last few weeks we've heard him say, you know, we always thank God for all of you in our prayers. And 1 verse 2, we remember how the Spirit moved amongst you with power in 1 verse 5. We remember how you turned to God from idols, 1 verse 9. It also a church that has captured the heart of Paul. Yeah, he is passionate and on fire for this church. In 2 verse 8, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our, our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. And verse 12, we dealt with you as a father, deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you. And then verse 13, we thank God continually. You know, Paul is passionate about this church. And he, he, he's, he's writing to them just to express that to them. But then things change. And we see in verse 14 that he's saying, I know that you suffered. You, you suffered in your faith. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you will know that the incredible blessings of God do not come without some form of opposition as well. We can't see, uh, the, see, you know, see the kingdom of God come without sometimes, you know, seeing some opposition from that rise up as well. A friend comes to faith, but then suddenly their, their family, uh, there's a backlash with their family, and there's real pain there. Maybe your, your new life with Jesus has caused you to be rejected by some of your old friends. You know, we just need to look around the world uh, to places like North Korea, which is the, the le- number one on the table of, of places where it's hardest to be a Christian, to see that speaking out the name of Jesus can cost you your freedom, and it can cost you your life. But this isn't um, something new, is it? Every one of Jesus' disciples lost their lives as they proclaimed the good news of Jesus. The kingdom of God has always been and will continue to be, until the Lord returns, that is, continue to be opposed. However, pain and struggle does lead to to the blessings and the progress of, of the kingdom as well. Um, the charity Open Doors that um, uh, focuses uh, uh, on the persecuted church around the world. Uh, They they say there is great news, though, the church is growing in these persecuted nations. All around the world, persecuted Christians are continuing to discover a depth, a strength, a brightness to their faith that can only be found in the darkest times. And the church in Thessalonica was... uh, in a particularly dark time as well. It was opposed the moment it was founded. But persecution did not come as a surprise to Paul, and it shouldn't come as a surprise to us as well. Chapter 3, verse 2, he says this, We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. Throughout the history of the church, persecution and opposition comes when the kingdom is proclaimed. In many ways, we should be worried when we're not seeing some opposition. Maybe we're not Pushing forward with the kingdom. Maybe we're not living out our faith in the way that the Lord wants us to. And in this passage, there are three sources kind of, of opposition that Paul and the church faced. And, and these are some of, the, some of these are things that we are, we're going to face as well. The first one is opposition from other people, people around us. But in this passage, is a very difficult part of the text. Because in this passage, in this context, it's Jewish opposition. Now, when I originally um, started writing notes this talk, I was kind of keen to avoid this passage. I thought, well, just pretend it wasn't there. We could skip past it. You know, it's a long passage. Maybe no one would have noticed that I've just bypassed it. But we can't um, sidestep it. Rupert told me I can't sidestep it. Um, we can't avoid this kind of elephant in the room, no matter how tempting it is, because it, it is, it's in the Bible. So just a warning, this is the text. Verse 14. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone. In their efforts to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap on their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Now, this is not comfortable reading. Um, and these verses have caused a lot of damage um, over the years. And nobody knowledgeable of the treatment towards the Jews and, uh, by the church can read verses 15 and 16 without feeling really uncomfortable. The worst examples among the church fathers was Chrysostom, who in the 3rd century preached eight malicious sermons against the Jews. He likened them to animals and made wild accusations against them, raging from, from gluttony, from drunkenness, immorality, to killing babies, even cannibalism. In the Middle Ages, the Fourth Lateran Council obliged Jews to live in ghettos and to wear distinctive dress so people could identify them. While the Crusades, the church failed to stop the popular extremism which led to the organized killing and pillage of Jewish communities. The church does not have a good history in in this area. And for one of the reasons, if we take this kind of passage on its own, then Paul does seem to be hostile towards the Jews. However, there is a great danger when we take passages out of their context. When we just read just a few lines of a letter, and we fail to see the bigger picture. Now, when we read the whole letter... And Thessalonians, in fact, all the letters of Paul and the account of his life in the book of Acts, we start to see uh, builds up a, a different picture. And the first thing to point out, and the main thing to point out really, is Paul was not opposed to all Jews everywhere, but a particular bunch of Jews who were out to harass and hound uh, the followers of Jesus. In Acts 17, um, it gives a bit of a snapshot of how the birth of this church came to be. And uh, when Paul and Silas went to Thessalonica, they preached in the Jewish temple. That was the first place they wanted to go, is to preach to the Jews. And some of the Jews were persuaded, and they became followers and, uh, and joined Paul and Silas. However... In verse 5 of chapter 17, there were some Jews who just did not believe. It's not that they didn't believe, they they turned hostile. They rounded up some bad characters, and they formed a mob, and they started a riot in the city. Paul and Silas, they were smuggled out of the city, but the Jews, they learned that that he was preaching the word of God in a different town. So, So they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. So there was incredible hostility to the gospel message by this particular group of Jewish people. So we can see and we can read this, and this is how the church has read this in the past, as a, as a reference to a certain group of people, not all Jews. And so when the passage says, the wrath of God has come upon them, now that's a difficult verse, but this is not because they are Jews, but because they were rejecting Christ more so, they were opposing the gospel and hindering the Gentiles from being saved. In verse 15 of chapter 17. Sorry, in our chapter 2. And God's wrath is not vengeful to a whole group of people. But a righteous wrath. Focus on individuals who, who oppose or uh, the gospel in some way. And that means anyone both Jew and Gentile, male or female, slave or free, who stand in opposition, who stop the gospel to being spread, uh, will be subject to God's righteous, just wrath. We also need to remember that the person writing this letter, he was a patriotic Jew, wasn't he? In Romans 9, he says he longed for the salvation for his people. He declared that he was even willing to forfeit his own salvation if only thereby they might be saved. And in Romans 10.1, my heart's desire prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Now this doesn't sound like someone who's hostile and desires, you know, and hates all Jews. But it's someone who loves them, who has a heart for them and wants them to be saved, wants them to know Jesus. And the other thing I just want to mention is, um, about this quite difficult bit of the passage is the danger of, of stereotyping. The situation that Paul and the Thessalonians face from the Jews is very similar to the threat that this country and many other countries around the world face from Daesh and many uh, kind of Muslim extremists who feel justified of killing innocent people. And the fact is that the beliefs of a small number of Jews then In the past, and now a small number of Muslims today pose a real and present danger to other people. But this does not allow us to damn every Jew or to be hostile to every Muslim, does it? But we cannot also be naive. Paul could not be naive at that point about what was happening uh, to, to the new Christians. And we cannot be naive about the threat Muslim extremists pose to the gospel. Christians around the world continue to be persecuted for their beliefs. And often, you know, like Paul was with the Romans, they are ignored and not protected by the rest of the world. So they need to find their voice to speak out about this oppression. I was reading uh, as an article uh, in October this year of a church leader who, who represents Christian communities across the Middle East, and he said this about the Iraqi and Syrian Christians. He said this, we feel that we have been abandoned, even betrayed, because we were hoping that the international community would defend our rights and provide us with the equal chance to live in our homeland, but that wasn't the case article on, it says, Western politicians do not take interest in the plight of Christians, despite the fact that they have been the targets of violence and genocide for years. Because we don't have the numbers, we don't have the oil, we don't possess any terrorist threat to the civilized world, he explains. We've been put aside and neglected. And so I just think there's a real balance that needs to be struck to stand up for the gospel and for those who proclaim God's word, you know, to demand justice both today and, and in, in uh, heaven to come, but also not to allow a stereotype, to stereotype a whole group of people because of the acts of, of a few. The church of our day, you know, that had once done you know terrible things to the to the Jewish nation, to the, who have been responsible for so much suffering have found a voice to repent for her treatment towards the Jews and to acknowledge that it wasn't just the Jews who crucified Jesus. Every one of us is responsible for Jesus needing to be on that cross. We all need to come to terms with that, don't we? When we come to her faith, we need to go, wow, that was... My sin, my responsibility. Jesus took all of my sin, took all of my debt. So he took my death so I don't have to. So there is opposition that Paul faced from this Jewish uh, members. And we will face opposition as well when we are starting to stand up uh, and start to you know, declare our faith in, in, in the community. The next form of opposition it came from isolation. Uh, I'll be a bit quicker now. Verse uh, 7, uh, chapter 2, verse 17. Brothers, we were torn away from you from a from a short time, for a short time. Now Paul knew that Christian, a Christian who is left on their own, uh, then in in time they will. It's easy for them to fall away from faith. Easy for them to just give up. You know, you can experience isolation, I think, even in a, in a church community like this. You know, it's very easy to come here each week and have fellowship just on a Sunday, but not actually have connect with other people. You can just be a spectator in a, in a seat just watching and then just go home at the end of the evening. And if you're not part of a home group or a, a, a real kind of support network, then it's so easy for you to, to there's a real danger of you falling away. So much of the strength we have in our faith comes from one another. And Paul was very aware of that. It pained him to be torn away from this community that he would poured a lot of his life into, his love to, into. And the final opposition that um, we see in this, uh, in this chapter is, is Satan himself. Verse 18, chapter 2, verse 18. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way opposition comes in all sorts of ways doesn't it but it comes in, 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 in three main categories though so it'll be opposition from the world so maybe it's you know, other people other pressures that are just drawing us away from our faith or or opposition from our kind of our, our, uh, our flesh you know we are sinful people who make mistakes and we can be weak you know I'm, I'm the first to admit that you know I could struggle with my flesh at points and there's also opposition from the devil where there is an element of a spiritual battle that we, that we are uh, at war in. You know, we're not told what Satan's involvement was, only that it was, it, it was made impossible for Paul to get to them. And I just want to just make a comment that we just need to be aware of the realities of the spiritual battle, the spiritual warfare. And when we commit to following Jesus, we can expect the enemy to make things difficult. To, uh, you know, break up the path, to cut in in some way, to just disrupt things. But we don't need to be afraid of him. For Jesus, he lives within us. But we do need to be aware of uh, the enemy's hand at work in this world. You know, his deception, you know, his accusations, his lies that try and rob our faith and stop the spread of the gospel. However, Paul was even more fearful that this tempter, this this Satan, had robbed the Thessalonians of their faith. Verse uh, 5, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But despite of all this opposition, the persecution from their own people, the isolation of being, you know, pulled apart from their, their spiritual father, and, and this spiritual battle of the of of the, of the enemy, Satan, God's people grew stronger, and God's church prevailed. It was good news that Paul was able to to say back, you know, to to to, to say to them. And what was it that got them through this time? Well, there are just a, a few things I want to point out. The first one is is just fellowship. Um, chapter 3 verse 2timothy god's fellow worker had been sent to them to strengthen and encourage them and and there's something we need to draw strength from one another basically you know it, there are it's so important for us to to be around people that are on fire for the lord and uh, we can just be built up and edified um, there are key people in my life and i'm sure there will be people in your life that you think, yes, they are the people that just helped me. There was a chaplain at school for me that I just I just knew he was a man of God and he, he loved the Lord. And I just wanted to be more like him. He encouraged me, inspired me, and I just wanted to be around him. And so much of my Christian journey was kind of helped because of those formative years in my life. Now find people that can encourage you and inspire you. There can be a Timothy in your situation. And I just want to say it again, you know, because I, my part of my role here is to oversee home groups. And I'm just going to keep plugging it. But uh, if you're not already involved in a home group, then that is a great place to be around people that are just on fire for the Lord, who, who love Jesus. And when we're around people like that, we want to grow as well. So fellowship. The second thing um, is encouraging testimony. Uh, being encouraged uh, by the report, Timothy, Tim, you know, Paul was really encouraged by this report Timothy brought back in uh, verse 6. Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. You know, despite all of Paul's fears and worries about what's happened to this church, there's a good news about faith and love. And it was great to hear testimonies of what God is doing. I just want to I just encourage you to start sharing them with one another. Let us be a church that just shares the good news of God. I'm just going to throw this one in because it happened this morning. And um, I met a, a lady who walked in church this morning. And um, she woke up. Uh, she, she'd come to this church 30 years ago and stopped coming to this church uh, for various reasons. Life got in the way. And she hasn't been a church ever since. And this morning, with the clocks going forward, she had an extra hour, and she woke up with an extra hour. And she said to me, I just thought, what am I going to do with my extra hour today? She thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to church. So she went on the internet, found HT again, and decided to come along this morning. She came along, and she just really enjoyed it. She was really excited. And she said to me, I'm really excited to go and see someone who asked me, what did you do with your extra hour? Today, and she says, I'm gonna say, I went to church, I've started going back to church, and I was just just really encouraged by that. And she's met lots of one-level people and is looking forward to coming back next week. Now that that is good news, that's exciting. So let's share these encouraging testimonies. And finally, the most importantly, this is right at the beginning of our passage today in verse 13 of chapter 2. They received God's word, they received God's word. It says this in verse 13, And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. I don't know if you spotted that, but Paul believed that the words he spoke were not just human words, not maybe, you know, these kind of words, but the words of God. We can stop reading this as a normal letter. For here contains the word of God, the main weapon that we possess to extinguish the lies of the enemy and to help us stand firm against any of the kind of temptations that are going to come our way. But you can also read these words, and I'm sure many of you have at some points, and just read them as mere words, just human words. You know, you can be taught the Lord's Prayer at school, I was, and for many years it was just Words had no impact on my life whatsoever. You can spend time with Christians and hearing people's stories of their relationship with Jesus. Or read, you know, read the Bible or, or just come here on a Sunday and still not get it. The Thessalonians received Paul's message as God's word. And as a result, their lives were changed. And that is exciting. It's extraordinary. At the, at the cost of a lot of their lives. You know, they were severely persecuted. And how do we receive these words like they did? Well, it's, unfortunately for us, it's not down to, to intellect. Or by the, but instead, but it's by the revelation of God through his Holy Spirit. You know, and that is something that is promised to us if we ask this is not a, a deep mystery that we won't, you know, we don't quite know, but we can't figure it out. But actually, we can ask the Holy Spirit, and He can help us to read this in a, in a new way. And I've witnessed some unlikely people in my time who've picked up this book. Some maybe who couldn't even read. I remember when I, I was a kid, I couldn't read. I'm dyslexic, and, I'm, and for many years I just couldn't read, and I used to just stick little pictures in my Bible. I couldn't read it. I just pretended to read it. But actually, I remember, you know, people reading it to me. And these words became powerful, and they meant something. And I knew this was the you know, powerful and uh, life-changing words. There was a guy, a young person called uh, Joe, who was part of my uh, old youth group that I used to run. And he was dedicated to the youth group. But shortly before he finished, he plummeted into depression. He couldn't get out of the house. He would not eat. He was in a really dark place, and I used to spend a lot of time with him. and I remember visiting his home because he was just too afraid to, to leave for many months. And if I'm honest, I can't remember what I said to him, um, but I do remember praying with him, and I remember reading the Bible with him. And I hadn't heard him for him for many years. and until last year, I received a letter from him, and he said that the words that we read, the words that we read from the Bible together, Gave him strength and helped him out of his depression. And now he's got baptized and he's leading a men's group within his church. And I just find that really encouraging. You know, somehow, something what we said, some word, it wasn't a mere human word at that point. He knew it was from God. So if you've not already done so, then receive this book not as just mere words, but as the word of God. For in it contains the words of everlasting life. You know, maybe you've read the Bible, but you just don't, just, you just don't get it. Well, I just want to, in a moment, we're going to ask, uh, the band's going to come up. Actually, if the band come up now, that would be great. We're going to just ask the Holy Spirit to help you, you know, to receive it in a new way. For maybe to, to understand it. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then I just want to encourage you to, to keep learning to use his word. You know, asking him to reveal his truth in your life for it to, to edify you, if it's to guide you in those really difficult times, is to kind of give you boldness to be uh, uh, you know, all out for Jesus. Romans 15.4 says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You know, allow this book be a place where you you kind of you go to 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 get hope for the rest of your life. So just to finish, despite all the trouble, persecution, the feelings of being abandoned, this, this Thessalonians found something worth living for. Humanly speaking, it didn't make sense. Just like the church of today, that's in persecuted nations, does not make sense, does it? why does it work why why is it growing it's because these words are not mere human words the god that we serve is not a distant god but is a god that has power to transform your life and bring you joy and love in the most unlikely circumstances so we're going to i'm going to when we stand up right now I'm just going to pray for us, and we're going uh, to sing a little song. Um, but in that time, I'm going to ask the prayer ministry team to come up to my right, uh, your left. And if you would love to be able to just receive this, maybe you've been really struggling reading God's word. Maybe just it's, you're finding it a little bit stale. I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to meet with you and for you to just be able to read it in a new way. But also we'd have to pray for anybody for anything. So if you have anything, if it's hit, kind of sickness or worry or anxiety, whatever it is, or that you just want to increase in joy and love for, for one another, then um, I do encourage you to come forward. This is a, we're a family here and we want to be able to pray for one another. So we're going to sing now a song and um, we're going to then take uh, have some prayer ministry after.